Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff for your guitar and make it sound better at westminstereffects.com. Make sure you join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. Subscribe and comment on Facebook and Instagram to help us beat the algorithm. And make sure you share this show every time you share it will enter you to win for a chance to win a Knox version 2 good Marshall style British style brown soundy overdrive we'll uh, we'll announce that first episode in March so share this junk in person with me we have hey everybody it's Bradley Cox pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer South Carolina and we don't have old Lutheran John he just texted me saying sorry I was up all night emptying my stomach oh Oh, no bless his heart as we say in the south but in the the the, worst in the genuine sense of bless his heart not in the uh not in the the, southern not in the southern sense uh so i guess let's just jump in we got a an inquisition question a couple weeks ago from lance moore and i almost put it in the inquisition in our last episode but then i realized this is better as a as a full episode and it's something that we talk about a lot uh but i kind of wanted to drill down on some of the some of the reasons that we harp on this a lot so he said i'm going to try and boil it down but i went to church with a friend it was loud excellent production and had great music but one i couldn't even hear myself to tell if i was singing in key or not so i stopped singing it felt to me as though they missed the mark on worshiping together because i definitely wasn't the voice of that room was all coming from the stage two the amount of money that was spent for production shocked me and i'm having a hard time not judging them uh they had three three thousand dollar projectors lights three cameras the kind that you see at nfl games uh and one of them was mobile filming on stage during the live production uh, they had 20 plus people running cameras lights sound etc and he said that sound seemed like overkill and was distracting <clears throat> he says my church is a fairly older church and we have a hard time uh getting and keeping younger members uh, while this church was pretty much all young people. Uh, I can't help but feel that both churches, ours and theirs, are missing something. Does a, he- does a healthy church need to have a diverse age range or be diverse in general? So lots of good questions there. Lots of questions. Um, lot, lot, one, lots of, good, lots of questions, and then two, lots of good questions and, yeah. that we do need to mm-hmm. think about. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start from the top. Um, Number one, I couldn't even hear myself to tell if I was singing in key or not. So mm. I stopped singing. Uh, I think he has a point there, honestly. Um, and, and this is coming from a church where I play electric guitar 
almost every Sunday. Yep. And we have a full band. We have a full drum set uh, that is not in a cage <laughs> in a pretty small sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have trouble evening out the volume there. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly uh, if Zach Walkton is listening, particularly if you are playing, sir, <laughs> uh, because he likes to wail and I enjoy I, I enjoy that yep. a lot. Yep. Uh, whereas Patrick Lowry has so much touch. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so shout out to both of those guys. But... Um, we've put an emphasis on being able to hear each other. Um, and, and particularly like I've really noticed, um, maybe I just have the, the room mics turned up enough, but I I don't think that's really the case. There have been times recently where with the full band in, I have heard the congregation in my in ears. Yeah. Either through just because they're overpowering it or because I have the mic turned up enough. And I don't think I've touched it really recently. I just think we're singing that much louder now. I think our church has grown in that tremendously. Yeah. Um, But it it brings to mind Colossians sing to each other, to one another, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Mm -hmm. So they, to give this church credit, they have music. Right. They, They are singing. It seems to me that the problem is that it's so loud that you can't sing to one another. Yes, maybe. Uh, I mean, I don't know the person's name. That's Lance. Lance. So Lance, that, that's, that was Lance's experience, and I don't want to discredit that. That yes. may not have been true of everyone else in the room. Sure. But he stopped singing, which means he stopped participating. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the primary differences between how we might think about a quote-unquote performance versus a corporate worship service, one of those primary distinctions is participation. Right. It's not meant to be a performance. It's, it, you know, what happens on stage is, a, is meant to initiate yep. an, an entire congregation of people joining in to what it is that we're doing. Um, a performance is something I, I go to a performance to watch people do things that I can't do, at least not nearly as well. I have tickets to go see, and I know that the people in our podcast lounge are going to love this group. I have tickets to take my wife to go see Drew and Ellie Holcomb. Probably most of y'all don't even know who that is. Nope, sure don't. They're kind of folksy, you know, country. Uh, love song kind of people. It's it's Valentine's present, right? So we're going to see this couple. Um, and and why do I pay money and go to a venue to watch them perform? Because they're really good. Yeah. And yeah, I, I'll sing along. There'll be some audience participation, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not you know the same as what a corporate worship service is meant to be. Right. And I think we. There, there are a variety of reasons we can we can go into them if you want. Why I think that the, the some church streams have trended more towards performance and less towards corporate participation. Yeah, and it reminds me. Let me. What's this music video? Uh, Architects, death is not defeat. So, I'm just gonna show you the visuals nope that's not the right one nope and i'm ruining it i'm ruining my own podcast i had an idea and it did not pan out but architects is a fantastic band if you like metal but they have a live music video 
Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's, you know, it is metal uh, and it does have ambient parts and, and some of the guitars and, and synth and what they're doing almost sounds like you could just, you know, take it out and put it in a church. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then the visuals of the crowd don't look any different than a production-based church. Right. Like people got their hands raised. You know, there's there's more writhing because it's a mosh pit. <laughs> right. Uh, but other than that, you have the lights and you have people with their hands raised and a lot of them with their eyes closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that does that's rubbed me more and more the wrong way recently of mm. of the church trying to look necessarily like that. In order to draw people in, have you have you seen uh, the movie Bohemian Rhapsody about Queen? Mm-mm. Um, I watched it on an airplane not that long ago, and um, <clears throat> there's an interesting scene where they talk about where they dramatize uh, the writing of the song "We Will Rock You," mm. and I don't know if this is the way it went down in real life, but the the electric guitar player with the dark curly hair, Brian May, yep. yeah, he comes uh, to F- Freddie Mercury and he's like, "We've got this idea to involve the audience in a way like never before," mm. and that's when the stomp, stomp, clap, stomp, yep. stomp, clap. They 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 show that to Freddie Mercury and he just loves it and it creates this way because w- the thought was at least the way. The way I took it from the movie was the thought was we don't want it to just be about us on stage. We want the audience to participate with us. Yeah. We want them to be yeah. engaged with us. We want them to we want them to have a full experience because you know, only watching something, um, that's that's less of an experience than if you actually participate in something. Yeah. Um, and so I think in the church world, maybe sometimes we've substituted things um, as ways to include, like if 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 there's an, a crowd of people who have their hands in the air, and the majority of them are singing, even if they can't hear themselves, um, is that is that what we're after? You know, mm. as opposed to, and, and, and the differences might be subtle and somewhat nuanced, but as opposed to what we're trying to do at res right now, which I'm not saying res has got all, all the boxes checked in just the right way, but I do think we're still figuring a couple, we're still figuring a lot of things out, (laughs) but it, I I do think what, what we have seen be become a growing emphasis in our Sunday morning services is audience singing on Sunday. We started with a call and response uh, and then we sang the first verse of Holy, Holy, Holy completely acapella. Yep. B- before there was a click and the drums and two electrics acoustic and keyboard all came in right yep. it, and and I thought that was just great because it it really set the tone for this is a we thing this is an us thing this is not just about those that are on stage yeah and and I think <clears throat> the difference between queen with we will rock you trying to involve the audience and the typical production based church is queen wanted everybody to participate in unity effectively. And I'm not saying that production-based churches don't want unity or anything like that, but it's usually marketed as um, come and experience Jesus. And that's, it's basically you and Jesus 
It's mm. it's basically a bunch of individual experiences with Jesus in the same room happening simultaneously, mm. um, as opposed to this being, uh, as as many of the reformers put it, like a covenant renewal kind of thing, mm. uh, an us thing. We are all in this singing the same song together, not just me singing and then you singing across the room. Mm. It's our voices are one voice in mm. the body. Yep, 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 yep. I agree. And I don't know. There's so many. Um, there's so many w- different ways that we can think about corporate singing in the church, and I think the best way, I think the most biblical way, is like passages like what you mentioned in Colossians, um, uh, or what Paul says in Ephesians uh, when he talks about don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music melody in your heart, giving thanks to the Lord in all things. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that is what we need to think, how we need to think about corporate worship. And regardless of how many cameras you have, what kind of lights you have, how expensive the projectors are, mm-hmm. I think those things are secondary. And I don't want to... Yeah, I do too. I don't want to press on that too much, but... What I want to do is I, I want to get a sense of what's the driving ethic here? What's the what's the goal? And is yep. it that those who are on stage, of course, we want them to be excellent. We want them to be on key. We want them to, you know, we want the music to be good, but good to the end of initiating a corporate kind of unified participatory exalting the name of christ not just uh man those guys are good and i'm getting to just sort of watch and experience a really good performance in some way Mm -hmm. yeah with the with the projectors and the lights um like i'm not a fan of of lights that you know the super moving lights i'm not either Um, yeah i'm not either I, i find those tremendously distracting but i can't as far as I can tell, say that they are bad in and of themselves. No. Um, and I, I can't be as dogmatic about that as as volume. Uh, one, with hearing loss, but two, with what we were talking about with singing to each other. Um, I, I'm always really careful, and this isn't just me being a gear builder, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I'm always really careful about you know $3,000 projectors. Maybe the cameras are a little overkill. Uh, but that stuff just costs a bunch of money, and and if you have, uh, for example, uh, I think John MacArthur's church has like ten thousand people, mm-hmm. something like that. It's an enormous church, uh, which means you need an enormous facility, which then means that you need nicer stuff that can actually show. Yeah, like like the projector has to be powerful enough to show what's going on to all those people. Um, so I'm, you know, and like the one of the guitars I played on sunday is brand new i got it used uh but it's a two thousand dollar guitar yeah um and there there's nothing wrong with any of those provided your emphasis is in the right place yeah and and i think you know it's it's hard let's just let's just acknowledge this it's hard to look at a particular church that has spent gobs and gobs and gobs of money on these production elements and not question what's you know what's what's the horse pulling the cart here mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> because 
I don't know. I just think it it I I can only speak for Res in this regard is that our desire to have a corporate worship experience to focus on us singing together um and and it not being a performance. We're not a church who puts puts our product out there on a weekly basis. Ooh. We are we are a people yeah. that gather that kind of thinking has affected um, the value that we place on technology, equipment, you know, how far we're willing to go. I think that's what gives rise to, you know, you saying things like, I'm good with some stage lighting, but all the moving lights feel distracting to me. Yeah. Distracting from what? Distracted, distracting from the fact that we're not up here putting on a product, putting a product on display. We're gathering God's people to worship. Yeah. Now let's get to that to the third part of this, where mm-hmm. he says, "My church is a fairly older church, and we have a hard time uh, getting younger members to stay." Uh-huh. This church uh, that he attended was pretty much all younger people, mm-hmm. uh, and he can't help but feel that both churches are missing something. Does a healthy church need to have a diverse age range or be diverse in general? Um, I'd like to go backwards. Um, it depends on how you define diversity, uh, honestly, because if if you have a significant diversity in theology, like if somebody is if 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 you have half your church being hard reformed and the other church being hard, uh, let's just say charismatic, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're pro- mm-hmm. <laughs> you're probably going to have a bad time. If if half your church is post-millennial and your other half is dispensational, <laughs> then it makes for really entertaining conversations. Yeah. And I just had one over the weekend, and it was it was fun. It was fun. It, you ought to ask it, your dad about the class we were in last night. Uh, we have talked about it some. Yeah, I, I said last night, at the risk of sounding like a dispensationalist, I, I was I was <laughs> oh, making I, I was making part. an argument. Um, yeah, I haven't heard that part, but um, <laughs> you know, that kind of diversity ultimately uh, ends up kind of blowing up in your face because y- true. you can't have both. That's um, true. Uh, and, and in terms of diversity, um, one of the big pushes in a lot of the church world recently has been ethnic diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be a great thing. Uh, if if someone of a of a non-white ethnicity shows up in our church, I'm not going to complain about it, but I'm also not about saying, "Hey, we need to go get some black people," <laughs> because that's just as racist and tokenist. I agree. <laughs> uh, hey, we need to make sure we go and and get all of the Hispanic immigrants or what have you. Like that's you know, preach the word, and you know the people that you personally know and invite you know if they come great yeah and if we attract somebody from whatever part of town that's predominantly whatever ethnicity awesome i'm not going to complain about that and and I, I would celebrate that but i'm not going to push for hey let's you know meet a quota like like the nfl with their um yeah. with their hiring stuff that's going on recently which is another subject um so I think we're on the same page there. Totally. Uh, now that gets into: Does a healthy church need to have a diverse age range? Um, <clears throat> I, I would probably say that's ideal. Yeah. I, I, because I think that there, I, I can find some places in the Bible where older are teaching younger. Yep. Um, there, there's a need for 
for mentors, mentoring and apprenticeship and, um, you know, for Paul to even say, <clears throat> this is not necessarily talking about um, physical age, but he says that a, an elder shouldn't be a recent convert. Right. Which implies what? It, it means that there are going to be new converts who could potentially become elders, mm-hmm. but they need to be discipled. And they need to be discipled by people who have been in the faith longer, which, practically speaking, is going to mean that there are physically older people teaching physically younger people. So I would say, yeah, there is a sense in which I think age diversity is a biblical ideal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Where you can't be absolutely dogmatic about it because you could have – theoretically <laughs> I, I don't think this is the norm by any stretch but uh maybe the oldest person in the congregation being around my age at 35 or your age you're, i think you're 44 mm-hmm. about to turn 45 that's right uh i think that's an anomaly in in the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. uh it, you could have a healthy church that way mm-hmm. um but the the benefit of having really old people, <laughs> not just people whose knees feel old often. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, the the benefit of hearing them talk about how uh, they walked through X Y Z situation, or seeing them walk through X Y Z situation as they age, mm-hmm. uh, is really beneficial for the younger people. And I think. Uh, the one of the reasons that this church is pretty much all young people probably stems from uh, the last what thirty years of separating out children from the rest of the church service so often. Well, what I was gonna, it, yeah, I I think that is a definitely a contributing factor. But again, I think there's a cart cart and horse thing here. Uh, yes, you know when I twenty thirty years ago, um, when I was coming into ministry coming into my adult years there there was a lot of talk about multi-generational ministry mm-hmm. because at least in my tradition a lot of the churches that I had been a part of or you know had attended there there was just a clear sense that the congregations were aging mm-hmm. and there weren't quote unquote young people that that was that was like a a refrain that I heard over and over again is that we're we're losing young people. We're we're not attracting younger people. And so the impulse was in order to attract younger people, we need to abandon tradition and upgrade our methods. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of talk as we came into the 2000s about the sight and sound generation. And we need lights, we need smoke machines, we need video projectors, we need to put away the hymn books, we need to get everybody's eyes up on screens and and you know so on and so forth to, yeah. to the point that a, a person like this asking this question who attends a church where there's a mostly older congregation and I would presume less technology mm-hmm. goes and attends a church where there's a huge amount of t- technology and a huge amount of young people, it, it might be easy to conclude we need to do that in order to get more diversity in terms of age. And I don't, I think recent history has proven that that's not the case. Right. Because we have a sister church here in town who is 50% more minimalistic when mm-hmm. it comes to uh, 
all things contemporary, technology, and anything that could be characterized as performance-bent performance things like lighting or mm -hmm. like they shared a facility with us for a while. And, and they did not give a rip about they, they I, I was like, <laughs> y'all want to see the lighting computer? And, and again, our lighting is so like minimal compared to some. I was like, y'all want to see the lighting? They're like, no, just give us cafeteria lights, man. We don't need all this stuff. And I, and it was like, wow, that's refreshing. And this yeah. church yeah. is probably average age, five to 10 years younger than us. Yep. And so my point is, I don't think you have to have all the bells and whistles in order to attract younger people. I think diversity comes from good discipleship. Yes, absolutely. I think if you are discipling people well, I think if a church ages, the congregation gets older, it might not this there, there might be other reasons for that, but I would venture to say primarily there's a there's just a genuine lack of discipleship. Because if I'm being discipled, I'm going to want to make and teach other disciples. Mm -hmm. And I I'm if I'm if I'm a disciple and I'm being discipled well, I'm going to disciple well in my home. And that's going to have an impact on what the church looks like from an age standpoint. And, and to kind of wrap this up, how much of that, of the lack of discipleship in, in what are now aging churches, how much do you think things were kind of just taken for granted where, you know, we punched our heaven card, we'll, you know, kind of skirt by for the rest, yeah. you know, um, and, you know, we'll rely on the church to make sure our kids know the gospel. Yeah. You think that? No, I think correlates? that's totally true. And I think, like, I just a lot of a lot of weeks when we record, we, you and I have just come out of a a morning Bible study that we do here at Res. Mm -hmm. And in that morning Bible study, there's a there's a decent diversity of age, but the balance is more towards older mm -hmm. uh, because they're just available to come on a, on a morning. And and you see this; these are people that a lot of whom have grown up in the church. Mm -hmm. And I, we start raising questions in Scripture, and what, what comes to bear is just a, a really shallow understanding right. of, of Scripture and these people that have been in the church, quote-unquote, almost all their lives. Right. They lack some of the things that, you know, I, I feel like Paul would... And not, you're not insulting them. No, it's, not it's at just all. What not they've at all. Been through and what what's been expected of them. Even you could say, absolutely. I, I would not ding them at all. But I do think that maybe the Apostle Paul might come along and say, "You ought to be teaching this stuff by now. These are elementary things." Yeah. Sometimes I yeah. feel that way. Yeah. Um. And and my expectation would be that by the time I'm seventy years old, mm -hmm. like. And it's one of my personal goals is that when I get into those upper years, that 95% of the energy I have left is in terms of ministry is spent on pouring into younger people who are now taking the reins. Yeah. Like, like oh, yeah. even before that time, I want, I, I think that's, I think that's a, a biblical progression. Yes. Is, is that I, there's a time where I'm doing it, and and then there's a time and a season where I'm doing it and training others, and and supporting others, and then I think there's a season where I'm mainly supporting and and, and training and pouring into and praying for 
others, younger ones, who are taking the reins. Awesome. I like it. Let's go to the Inquisition. And this is the Inquisition, where you ask us questions and we answer them on the fly, you know, since we do so much prep work for this podcast (laughs) in the first place. But as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris. He says, generally speaking, we believe that we should always seek to strive for excellence in everything we do. However, when it comes to the limitations of what a church is able to do, is there a place where, quote unquote, good enough is okay? So almost like the flip side of what we Mm -hmm. talked about up front. Um, and I think, well, yeah, <laughs> uh, if, if you don't have a world-class, uh, electric guitarist, which we do not, I am not world-class by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I know what I'm doing generally, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but I'm, I'm good enough. <laughs> uh, our, our sound system at the moment, we're about to upgrade it, but it's been good enough for a while. Uh, but and and we're gonna upgrade the speakers because there's a cavern yeah. of, of sound quality in yep. the first few rows, yep. um, and, and we've made it work, uh, and we haven't freaked out about it. Uh, in terms of our drum stuff, I mentioned we don't have a full blown drum cage, and it's good enough. Yep. Well, and and what I would say is let, let's 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 get rid of the term good enough and let's talk mm-hmm. about excellence for what I think it really is. Excellence is not having the best. It's doing the best with what you have. Yes. Make the most of what you have and, you know, don't try to, don't try to do things or be things that you're not. Yep. Uh, don't be a poser. That, that would be, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're not, I mean, it's, seriously, if you're a church of 75 people and you have very little technology yep. and equipment and whatever, don't, Try to turn your Sunday morning worship service into a Hillsong concert. Mm-hmm. The segment, the entirety of this segment is brought to you by the year 1998. <laughs> yes, yeah, posers sorry. and Hillsong concerts, right? <laughs> sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a I'm a child of the 80s, and and my early adult years were in the 90s. So I, <laughs> I I I I know I'm dating myself, but you know, seriously, I've said for years, a church of 75 people with, you know. Not professional musicians mm-hmm. doesn't don't have professional musicians don't have a lot of technology. Instead of trying to get as close as you could to, I don't know, pick a different uh, modern like a like a Shane and Shane concert. Mm-hmm. I don't know Andrew uh, Peterson, <laughs> Andrew so. Peterson, any of that. Instead of trying to get as close to that, really try to focus on congregational singing and doing that with it. The best you possibly can in yep. terms of musical quality, and that might simply be a piano. Yeah, that might be nothing more than a guitar, and one or two of the best vocalists in the church who see themselves not as performers, but as initiators, as lead worshipers who are initiating the congregation to sing together. If you focus on that, you'll have a great worship experience. And and there are times when the best that I can do is adapt. A, uh, a guitar riff to something that my brain can process yeah. <laughs> better because there's some stuff like if if we're uh, since we reference Shane and Shane we have a uh, worship initiative subscription and there are times when I go on there I'm like my fingers won't do that <laughs> and and you know uh, there are even times where I have to adapt a lead riff you know just so my brain can wrap around it and so because we you know we're learning stuff every week and you know I'm not playing this stuff on on the reg 
in in my own time right um and so you know every now and then i'll if it's if it's enough of a difference i'll kind of throw steven a text like hey just so you know i'm adapting this a little more okay cool mm-hmm. uh it's it's not to the point where it's distracting it's just this is what i'm capable of yeah. and particularly capable of this week you know it, real practically i would say um every you know all musicians should do what you're doing adapt it for the context that you're in mm. Uh, the the lead riffs or uh, the different nuances in the song and don't be afraid to lower keys yeah 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 don't be afraid to to drop it a half step or a whole step or a step and a half so that your vocalists can sing it well which really means the rest of your church will be able to sing it better too that's exactly right and and granted it may not sound like it does on youtube mm-hmm. when you do that yep. it may not have the same level of intensity you know, emotional um, sort of ambient feel that you might find on YouTube, but don't, that's not our goal. Our goal is that people could sing and declare the truth of God in song. And so do it in a way that fits your church, fits your congregation, fits your voice. I I mean, take, take it a lesson from me for years and years and years. I tried to sing too high because I Mm -hmm. wanted it to be and sound like, what I what I heard, and I'll date myself again on the CDs. Yeah, uh, because because belt range usually sounds better. No, it does. It it sounds more epic, and I I damaged my voice. Yep, um, I damaged my voice in such a way that it it's it's work for me to sing now uh, because I was trying to sing too high. So. Don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Aaron Little. David said, I have sinned against God in Psalm Psalm 41. So is all sin only against God? Uh, And then, you know, going back to Sunday, we were in the Lord's Prayer. And Luke, he said, I looked at the Lord's Prayer where it said uh, that we forgive those who trespass against us. Mm -hmm. So... Is it only perceived wrongs against us, or is it ultimately against God there too kind of thing? I think sin ultimately is against God. Yes. Okay. Anything, any any effort we make to find satisfaction, joy um, at the expense of him is mm-hmm. sin, and it's sin against him. Um and in such sinning, we sin against each other is the way I would think about it. Um, we, 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 our sins affect one another. Yeah. And I, I, I th- think that's I think why. I, would, I think I would even go to creation as, you know, we bear the image of God. Right. Um, which, which is why uh, you have the fact that you're sinning against one of God's representatives on earth, which, you know, yeah. Anyway. Well, and the Bible talks about sin and forgiveness in terms of debt. Um, which I think is helpful. Yes. Ultimately, um, all sin debts are owed to God. But if I sin against God and commit adultery, I, I not only have a debt to him, I have a debt to my wife as well. Mm-hmm. And so, ergo, forgive us our sins as we forgive those indebted to us. Um, in light of the ultimate the the one against whom uh, the one against whom sin ultimately has all been committed forgives us in light of that then i can also cancel the debts or forgive those who have sinned against me mm-hmm. that that's 
again, there's a cart and a horse thing there too. Yes. Uh, last question, Nathan Presswood, uh, their sermon, uh, well, his, the sermon at his church was on John 8, 1 through 11, the woman caught in adultery. He said, this wasn't addressed, but I thought of a question and it made me think of a couple weeks ago's topic. Uh, was this woman a born again believer after her encounter with Jesus? Her only recorded words are no Lord in response to his question about her uh, remaining accusers. Uh, so we never hear her confess anything. Uh, so what gives with that? I'll have a nerdy answer in a, in a minute, but go ahead and nerd out. Well, I, uh, my nerd answer is that's probably not canon in the first place. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in your Bibles, you've got the little brackets. The earliest manuscripts don't include this particular story, and uh, in in the history of the Bible, this story has bounced around. Uh, like there's actually, I think a couple manuscripts with it in Luke, yeah. uh, maybe one in Mark or something like that. Uh, it probably happened. That's what I was going to say. I think it happened. It probably happened, but, um, I don't, I can't, I don't feel comfortable with going super hardcore into any doctrines based off that text. But I also don't think that text, uh, lends itself to, uh, to a lot of essential doctrines in the first place. Um, you have go and sin no more. You you have the woman caught in adultery. Well, they only bring the woman in the first place. <laughs> it, it's adultery. There was someone else involved, right? So everybody right. was, you know, that's one of the things that people miss is, you know, he was without sin. Well, they only brought one party who was apparently supposedly guilty. So they all send in that in the first, it's, I this passage is frustrating to me with how people handle it, and you're <laughs> laughing at me because of it. Well, but, but I think I think you we I think we can conclude two things. One, yes, I think it happened. Two, um, I think it does it does reflect the character and nature of Jesus and the gospel that we see, you know, uh, pictured throughout the whole of the New Testament. Um, yes, and and true. I think it's also. Um, kind of part and parcel with some of the interchanges that Jesus had with the religious elite mm -hmm. and how they thought about uh, sin and justice and what have you. And and Jesus putting on display uh, in one sense that, A, he has the authority to forgive sins. Yep. Uh, and B, we are all not without sin. Right. And and I think th those those would be the things that I would take away from that without pressing too hard on some of the extemporaneous things like what was he writing in the sand and right um, what happened to the whoever the person was that this woman was committing adultery with mm -hmm. who is this woman um, I don't I don't tend to get too caught up on those details right I th and I definitely you know like we both think this probably happened whatever um, I, I feel a lot better about John eight than I do the ending of Mark. To nerd out more textually, <laughs> you got to talk to Brian Alkin about that. One. Oh, really? That uh, that would be a fun conversation. He did. His, he did at least part of his dissertation was on was arguing for the longer ending of. Mark. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. I would like to hear this sometime because um, I know like uh, James White is a big proponent for not the long ending of Mark. He's more of a short ending of Mark. Mm -hmm. um, his theory is, you know where the oldest manuscripts stop with, and they were afraid. Yeah. And his theory is it would have been read by someone who was there 
and then they would close it and be like, and this is how I experienced the resurrected Jesus. Yeah. Which which is a really interesting theory, I think. And and I think with the textual issues, you know, the picking up snakes and stuff like that kind of thing that Jesus talk, supposedly talks about in the long ending of Mark, I think it makes more sense if that was added later with some of the things uh, Maybe going so. on in the Bible. Maybe. I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't wreck any primary doctrines by any stretch. No, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, and if and if somebody holds to the long ending mark, okay, cool. Enjoy it. <laughs> Maybe we should have Brian on for an episode and let him talk about the longer ending yeah, mark. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be an interesting thing. That would be a lot of fun. Um, and then just pepper him with questions. Yeah, pepper him. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you listening to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. Make sure to share this show again. And remember, it gets you entered to win a pedal. Go love God, love your neighbor, and make some music. We'll see you next week. Well, would it help if you closed it and then opened it? Because I assume it would just stop the recording. It's not.